Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. If you were here two weeks ago, we began um, a series in Moses, uh, which Kay uh, kicked off, and we really started looking at how God works out his purposes uh, for his people quite often in the background, often in the hidden, very often in the unseen and unremarkable, Um, but actually we saw how he worked out situations in Moses' life in order to prepare him for what was to come next. You know, in worldly terms, Moses was ready. He'd had a head start. He had all the privilege of being a prince. The education, uh, the position, the opportunity. And at 40 years old, he literally had the empire at his feet. And he knew his Hebrew roots. He knew he had zeal, like we saw last week, but he jumped the gun. And he took justice into his own hands. And he murdered an Egyptian Um, that he caught beating a Hebrew and he was forced to flee from Pharaoh for his life. Now growing up, um, I'd occasionally dabble in some watercolour paintings. My mum was well into that stuff. Um, And you can kind of imagine when you do like watercolour stuff, you need a lot of patience. And to start with, your men just make the whole thing wet. And then you have to wait. And as a 12-year-old, that is impossible. You're like, oh, come on, I'm sure I can do the next bit, of course, you ruin it. And uh, next time, you do it a little bit longer, still ruin it. And in many ways, um, in a a, a culture of immediacy, the idea of patience is pretty alien to us. And and actually, that's kind of what happened with Moses. He didn't want to wait. He got ahead of himself and he acted before God had told him. You know, he went off piste and went his own way. It's kind of interesting, because like we saw last week with Kay, it said that Um, When he killed the Egyptian, he looked left and he looked right, saw no one, and he did the deed. But he never looked up. He doesn't say Moses looked up. He didn't consult God. He literally looked left, right, saw nothing and did it. And so in many ways, Moses was ready to be prince of Egypt, but he wasn't ready for God to use him to lead his people. And the consequence, as we're seeing now, is many, many years wandering a desert tending his father-in-law's sheep. You know, that's a fall from grace. You go from being a prince to wandering around after someone else's sheep in a desert. But as we'll see, we have a God who restores and he calls his people back. So uh, let's uh, read from Exodus chapter 3 and I'll read the first 12 verses. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Sounds like a robot, doesn't he? Um, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am am God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. 
I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Let's just pray quick. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for its instruction. Thank you for its encouragement. And Lord, we believe uh, that it is living and active. Father, we believe through your spirit that you want it to speak to us tonight. Lord, thank you that you've already been speaking in our worship time. And Father, we do want to say that we are your church tonight. Lord, we are wanting to hear from you. Um, We're wanting to be challenged by you, Father. And if there's anything hindering our receiving of what you've got for us tonight, Father, pray to give us the courage to your spirit just to surrender it, Father. Amen. Now the passage, this uh, whole section, is commonly kind of thought of as the call of Moses. In many ways, it's kind of the defining moment. It's the kind of the moment uh, Moses got released into the big time. It's just before he gets to go spooky and do all the plagues um, and that kind of stuff. But in order to get to this point, um, you have to, and often what's missed, is that God let him wander around the desert for 40 years. And so we have to start in the desert. Yes, it's the burning bush, and it starts that way, but actually a whole it's entirely foundational built on this desert thing now I think it's fair enough to say um, that it didn't work out as Moses intended he was a young man, he was destined for glory and heroism and now he was 80 years old he'd spent 40 years following someone else's sheep around the desert and he probably would have accepted that he had blown it at this point I imagine the idea of leading his native people to freedom now It was a long and distant dream he gave up long ago. But you see, in Bible terms, deserts are special places. They're places where God um, does his greatest and most powerful um, places of preparation. And we see it repeated throughout scripture. Because actually the Hebrew word for desert is derived from the Hebrew word to speak. Because deserts are places God can be heard. In God's eyes, deserts are blessed places, but they're not nice ones. There's no shade in the desert. There's no comfort and control. You're exposed, they're vulnerable, you feel very small. You know, they're bleak and empty, and without the wind, there's just silence, just empty silence. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, um, the likely functional sad truth is, rarely do I need God. I provide very happily, ably for myself Monday to Friday most of the time. We can feed and clothe ourselves. We can maintain a degree of social life and friendships. It does feel like we have a degree of determination over our futures, believing to be all under control for the most part. It's so easy for God to become a bit part side on the side of our lives that we can fit alongside our own ambitions. And so we live happily, happily for the most part It's often, if I'm honest, not actually bothering to hear what God may or may not be saying. 
most of the time, maybe you're like me or maybe you're not, but I live ignorant of my need of him. But you see, until we find ourselves in the desert, this illusion doesn't tend to evaporate by itself. It might be the long slog of parenthood, a divorce or relationship or family breakdown, sudden illness, maybe we get the job, maybe we, don't get, we go for a job that we don't get, um, maybe we lose one. Maybe what we sense God calling us to our whole life suddenly doesn't start looking so likely and all the hopes that we had when we were young have kind of disappeared. Maybe it's just that constant nagging of inadequacy on in our head which just nags away at us. You know, whatever it is, the causes for our discomfort, loneliness, despair, abandonment, whatever we're feeling, God can use them to get our attention. And the Bible's very clear. He does this in order to test us, in order to reveal to us on our hearts um, what we're really trusting in. And it makes us realise how notion, how fragile that notion of our control really is. You see, it's one of God's greatest mercies to convict and press upon you your need of him. Because it's only when we really, uh, we've got nothing else to depend on that we actually really truly find God. Now I don't believe suffering, all suffering is caused by God, but he'll use it. However, the affliction arrives, God offers the opportunity for a greater redemption. And you see, the Bible encourages us, actually almost commands us to see suffering as a sign of God's love, that his disciplining of us carries a greater faithfulness and mercy than any comfortable life or easy set of circumstances could bring us. In Hebrews 12, he exhorts, Paul exhorts us to endure hardship as suffering because he's treating us as children. You see, without, unless we suffer, we can't be sanctified. Unless things are hard, you will not grow. That's just how it works. I can certainly testify to that. My most fruitful years in here have been the most hard years externally. And they were messy. Hard years are messy. Ask my friends. In fact, maybe don't ask my friends. But hard is messy. But if these things are true, that actually God says, in order to refine you, you're going to have to do some hard yards. Why are we so surprised when it doesn't look pretty? Why aren't we mature about what's going on? Why do, why do we so often react to tough circumstances rather than submitting to them? Verse 11 um, of Hebrews goes on with, and I bang on about this one all the time. I, think I, I feel I bring this verse up every time I preach. Um, but it says... Um, that no discipline at the time seems pleasant but painful. But then it says later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. Now it hinges on the word trained because actually we have a choice how that discipline works out. It can be wasted and we can just react or we can say, God, I'm going to submit this to you. I'm going to trust you. I want to learn from it. So when stuff's hard, how do you react? Do you tap out? Or are you going to be trained? Do you throw a tantrum and take it out on the nearest person to you? Or do you turn aside like Moses did and just say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And I know what it's like. I know what prolonged family crises feel like. 
I know what betrayal feels like, humiliation. I had plenty sleepless nights in my time. You know, the days, those mornings you wake up and the whole world's a bit grey. When you stare at a wall because you don't know what else to do for 10 minutes. You know, I certainly know what it's like to loathe, and dis- loathe myself and despair when I beat myself up for doing that thing again. Or being publicly humiliated when I've uh, judged myself to have failed. You know, I've known what it is to journal the same thing for two weeks. Maybe that's just me. You know, and the whole thing, if, you know, if, we, if I dare talk to God, it's like, God, how much longer? How, how can you expect me to go on anymore? I think you overestimate how much I can take. You see, there's no greater freedom than worshipping God in a desert. Declaring God's goodness with a broken heart in anguish or in grief, it doesn't get purer than that. Costly worship is as pure as it gets. But it often only happens when we really do reach the end of ourselves. There's some wonderful song lyrics that capture this kind of spirit beautifully. And it says, there is no pit too deep that Jesus cannot reach. There is no sorrow so strong that would overtake your beloved one. And it says, he's brought me to the wilderness where I would learn to sing. And he lets me know my barrenness so that I will learn to lean. You see, and ultimately that's what the desert invites us into. It invites us to learn to sing. God, I don't understand, I'm scared, I'm hurting, but I trust you and I choose to declare your goodness despite that. And Moses' worship was simple. It was a very simple, yep, I'm here. He'd yielded to God's discipline. He, he likely wasn't singing, but his ego was slain. And any pretense of his own grandeur or importance had gone and he was empty. At this point in Moses' life, after 40 years wandering the wilderness, he had accepted he had no power or control over his life. After 40 years, um, he wandered around with shattered dreams and I imagine he had practically forgotten, in God's eyes, um, what the promise had even begun with. But actually, from God's perspective, Moses was absolutely ready for his most defining mission. And actually, God needed to wait to Moses to get to this point before he could use him. And so we find Moses um, spotting the burning bush. And it was very likely an ordinary day, like many others in the last 40 years, leading sheep around a wasteland, grazing on scraps of vegetation. There was no hint, it seems, or premonition that God was going to break his silence. It seems actually God had been silent for 40 years. I do find it ironic that Moses spent 40 years as a prince. He then spent 40 years wandering around a desert, and he spent his last 40 years leading other people around a desert. I mean, that's not the kind of career progression you want, is it? And so to start with, there's a bush on fire. Slightly odd. But lightning is known to have strikes. So it, was odd. it wasn't odd that it was necessarily happening, but instead of turning into a rapid pile of ash, it kept burning. But it wasn't burning, but it was. Do you know what I mean? It, wasn't, it was like on fire, but not on, it was on fire, but not burning. Have you seen that Eddie Izzard sketch? Where he does like, I'm joking. No, I'm not. Do you, do you really happen? Yeah, some of you know I'm talking about others. You think I'm not. It's really funny. 
That was a fail. Um, anyway. But what the whole point of the bush was it was enough to get Moses' attention. It says Moses turned aside to take a closer look. And it's this point that God intervenes and he says, Moses, Moses. And in Hebrew, Moses just utters one word, which I'm not going to pronounce because I couldn't find it on the internet. But it basically just says, I'm here. That's it. Just, I'm here or it's me. Now, he could have thought, you know what, God, it's about time. I've been here 40 years waiting for your call. 40 years of obscurity and silence. But he didn't. He had become a nobody and made his peace with it. So when the call came, his reluctant response uh, was just a kind of a resigned availability of, I'm here. Um, Now, Shawshank Redemption is a film I'm sure many of you know, but um, Morgan Freeman plays uh, a character called Red who repeatedly goes up against a parole board on numerous times and gets rejected. But on the final time, this is the way it plays out. So the off-parole officer says, Ellis Boyd Redding, your file save served 40 years, that's quite ironic, isn't it? Couldn't have planned that, ironically, of a life sentence. Do you feel you've been rehabilitated? And he turns with a completely blank face and says, I know what you think it means, Sonny. To me, it's just a made-up word a politician's word, so young fellows like you can wear a suit and a tie and have a job. What do you want to know? Am I sorry for what I did? There's not a day goes by I don't feel regret. Not because I'm in here or because you think I should. I look back on the way I was then, a young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. I want to talk to him. I want to try and talk some sense to him, tell him the way things are, but I can't. That kid's long gone, and this old man is all that left. I've now got to live with that. Rehabilitated? It's just a nonsense word. So you go on and stamp your form, Sonny, and stop wasting my time. Because to tell you the truth, I don't give her monkeys. Um, and to be honest, I kind of imagine Moses was in a, quite a similar place. He'd given up caring a long time ago. And you see, God goes on, he says, take your sandals off your feet for the place which you stand is holy ground. Holy because God's presence was there. And taking off his sandals was a, was a very much kind of a, a, a sense of humility. You know, and God didn't want anything to get in the way of the conversation that they were about to have. In many ways, this is what 40 years in the desert had been building towards. God called Moses at his weakest point. In human terms, he was the farthest distance away imaginable, and yet this was God's chosen time and place. And it says God begins to speak, and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At which point Moses hid his face out of fear. Remember me, Moses? I'm the one who told you you'd redeem your people one day. I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God that you thought had forgotten about you. See, Moses thought he had left that all behind. He'd burned his bridges. He assumed that God had finished with him. No doubt the desert winds had tempered some of the uh, regrets and the memories. But the past must have kind of washed over um, that once handsome prince like a tidal wave. Now hiding in the desert floor, wrinkled, rugged-faced, groaning inside himself, feeling humiliated and unworthy. 
precisely how God wanted him to be. Because as we see repeatedly, that's the kind of person that God can use. And God told him exactly what he was to do. You know, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned for their suffering. And that he's come to rescue them. And Moses, by the way, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to do it. And then in chapter four, four we have all this almost comical exchange. Moses says, who am I to go? And God's like, I'll be with you. But, 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 but what if they don't believe me? Oh, but they will when, I, when you see the signs that I'm going to give you. But, but God, I've never been eloquent. I've never been able to speak. I never was and never will be. And then God hits him with a rhetorical question, which at that point, you kind of take the hint. But he says, you know, who gave humans their mouths? I'll teach you what to say. But Moses chanced his luck and decided to have one more moan. Uh, Pardon your servant, Lord. I was quite polite about it. Please send someone else. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. So if you have a rhetorical question, maybe stop it. And God says, you can take Aaron, your brother, with you, but you're not getting out of this. And all it says next is that Moses stopped arguing and went. And with the blessing of his father-in-law, returned to Egypt. You see, God let Moses roam around the desert for 40 years in order to make him the man he needed him to be. And for us, you know, God never abandons us. You know, his timing is always perfect. And he will show himself to be the God that brings us back. And just as we finish, we need to get this because this bit's quite important. This story is about Moses. But it's really not about Moses at all. But everything about God. You see, Moses is pretty much a spectator in this whole episode. And when we, when we um, read the story of Moses and when it's taught on, this isn't about you writing you into a Moses-like story for our own lives. This isn't about you being a hero or me being a hero. This is about all of us getting rescued by a God who loves us and knows the terrain. You know, if we think we can earn hero points by kind of collecting Desert Go Endurance Pokemon things, I did download it, but I haven't caught any. Um, I just distracted myself. Um, don't do it. The chances are, if we think we're going to be a hero, God will send us around for another lap. And so, although you are not Moses, I'm not Moses, our lives are not Moses, God is still God. And whatever the purpose is for our lives, God deals with us in exactly the same way, and we can have the same confidence in that, in the way he goes about equipping us and leading. It's God is the God of Moses. The same God is here tonight. You see, God's never finished with you. Moses was a washed up on paper failure, was an 80 year old shepherd and a fugitive of justice. If he can use Moses, he can certainly use you and me. And if he hung Moses out to dry lovingly for 40 years in the wilderness, then I think our stories may not be over yet. You see, God's patient. He understands our hesitancy. He knows our weakness. In Psalm 103, he talks, uh, the psalmist writes that, that God remembers that we are dust. It's probably one of my favorite verses in the whole of scripture. Get your, uh, get your head around the freedom of that 
What expectations can you have of dust? Not a lot. You don't have a lot to prove if you're a bit of dust. We have nothing to prove to God. We have nothing to prove to ourselves in that sense. But you see, what we see as failures in our own lives are nothing more than a wonderful opportunity in God's economy. Any discomfort that we feel is not punishment. It's his mercy that he's desperate for us to receive. It's an opportunity for us to get to know ourselves and more importantly get to know God more than we could any other way. And I guess the message for us tonight is that you are enough. With your insecurities, you are enough. With your fears, you are enough. With your um, desire for control, you are enough. With your sin, you are enough. And so although God has plans, it always starts off with us as being the project. He needs to work on us first and foremost to teach us really what dependency is. And he will use any and every desert circumstance that comes our way. I just want to finish with a quote. It says it better than I could say it. And the reason that God identifies with them is because, and us, is because we walk a well-worn path. And Charles Swindle writes this. He writes, Jesus went through the worst desert for all of you. He was alone as no man has ever been alone. He was rejected. He lived in obscurity. He suffered the worst earth and hell, suffered the worst earth and hell could throw at him. Jesus walked through the desert first. He felt its heat. He tasted its loneliness. He accepted the obscurity. He faced down Satan himself while the desert winds howled around him. And he will never ever forget or forsake the one who follows him across the sand. So as we finish, what, what is your desert? What are the deserts in your lives at the moment? Who or what are you are we really depending on for our security, our happiness, our purpose? And what is it that maybe God's wanting to call us back from? Like Moses, he saw the bush and he turned aside. Some of you may have been in the desert a long time and like I said, maybe it's time to leave the resentment and the disappointment to one side for a bit and check the bush out and say, God, I'm, I'm here. What's the plan? I think the, the band are going to come. Let's just stand up. We're just going to worship a bit, but I'll pray. But if there's... While I was um, walking in this evening, I just, I just had a sense that tonight is a, a bit of a surrender night that actually there is stuff which we are holding back fully trusting God with and actually God wants us to be completely free and it's not so that um, he gets his way but it's so we get joy and so the prayer team are going to be there you don't need to get prayed for, God's here but they would love to stand alongside you and kind of wrestle with you in surrendering, surrendering some stuff. But let's pray. Father, we love you. We love the way you deal with us. We love your patience. 
Lord, we love that you love us too much to give us the easy life. And Father, tonight we want to lay down anything that we are holding on to that hinders our following you. We want to lay down everything that gives us a fear of fear of our futures. We want to lay down all our anxieties about what's coming next, God, and where we're holding on to past hurts and failures. Father, we do pray by your spirit you'd give us uh, the power to let go of them. Lord, come and do a work in our hearts. Remind us who you are. Remind us who we are before you. Lord, give us a, a sense of joy in being dust in your hand. Father, we want to put you first. Lord, we, we rarely put you first the way we should. But God, we want to be a people who worship you in the desert. We want to be a people who suffer seeing the bigger picture. And God, no matter what we're going through right now, Lord, we declare your goodness to us. Holy Spirit.